welcome to How To OT. As always, I'm your host, Matt Brandenburg. Thank you for joining us today as we segue into part two of our interview with Dr. Stacy Smallfield. In this episode, we'll hear from Dr. Smallfield about her early career as a systematic review researcher, including her contributions to best evidence and practice research, as well as an explanation of what being a systematic review researcher means and how that contributes to your day-to-day as an OT practitioner. We'll also hear some clinical action steps or recommendations to encourage physical activity across populations. She'll share with us a pretty cool personal story and also some resources that you can look at if you want to learn more about systematic reviews, best practices, and evidence-based guidelines in our profession. If you haven't listened to part one of this interview yet, I would recommend you go back and do so. We talked about some interesting topics, including Dr. Smallfield's early research and contributions to occupational therapy interventions for people with low vision, and part of her research story in leading her to what she's currently pursuing. It'll help fill you in before listening to part two. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get back to Dr. Smallfield's interview. But I think what you really wanted to know is in my my research personally where my future directions are. Yeah, right? absolutely. I'd love to hear about that. So, so because I started, you know, this systematic review process with AOTA, I have had the opportunity to to really be involved in a variety of topics under the umbrella of gerontology and older adults. So in mm-hmm. addition to low vision, I've had the opportunity to look at the literature around um, best practices, you know, OT intervention for people with Alzheimer's disease and related neurocognitive impairments. I had the opportunity to be involved in productive aging, so the literature mm-hmm. around OT's interventions in the area of pro- older adults who are still community dwelling and are, you know, how do we, how do we support them maintaining their independence in the community? And I'm just going to be starting a new project looking at best evidence about um, chronic conditions. So lots, you know, there's still (laughs) lots to be done. And and, um, while I don't have you know, my research isn't necessarily, I'm not doing primary research um, focused on a specific topic. I mm-hmm. do strongly believe that um, someone needs to be doing the kind of work that I do in research because we, the amount of literature that is generated now more than ever before mm-hmm. is so abundant. I mean, the every day there's new literature on, on the new science in so many areas, right? Mm-hmm. And if someone is, if, if there is not a mechanism for compiling that information, it's just too overwhelming for any one practitioner to keep on top of. And it's also, so then the default, I think, is for practitioners to say, well, I found this one study that says this. Mm-hmm. Right? I see that so often. Well, I found this one study that says this, and so therefore I'm going to go in that direction. 
Well, what that does is only provide one, one study, right? So if they picked yeah. the one that's not effective or you don't have a sense of the whole of it, is that really evidence-based practice? So what I've learned as a systematic review researcher is the importance of looking at it all together, not just an article in isolation, because you, you can't get the full picture and you may not actually be providing best evidence if you pick the one article that says something's effective and you miss the other 10 that says it's not. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. I know for me as a, a budding OT practitioner, um, soon to be at least, I really appreciate that research style um, that considers all these studies that to me are overwhelming to take on as, mm -hmm. as a student, but also can provide me with clear directions and clear guidelines mm -hmm. on what is best practice. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of one of the goals for this podcast mm -hmm. is to provide a resource for practitioners to kind of get those quick guidelines and quick action steps Absolutely. from a well-respected and well-known mm -hmm. researcher. Mm -hmm. So kind of using that as a segue, um, what would you say are uh, some clinical action steps or recommendations that you would give to current OT practitioners based on your research? Sure, um, based on my research, I would say it depends a little bit on the population you're working with. Mm -hmm. I, we've talked a lot about low vision, so I might not repeat that as much. In the, I think in general, across populations, I see lots of evidence for the effectiveness of physical activity. Okay. So whether that is an actual exercise program with people with Alzheimer's disease, or if it's physical activity for an older adult in their home to maintain balance, we have lots and lots of literature that physical activity is an essential part of people's day and it does not need to be always in the form of 30 minutes of aerobic activity, right? That was that was kind of my next question. What can an OT or OTA exactly. do to uh, exactly. encourage physical activity? So OT's role in that, mm -hmm. we know all about habit and routine. That is OT's wheelhouse right? Mm -hmm. We believe that people are healthy when they're engaged in meaningful activities and when there's a routine and habit to their day. Mm -hmm. And so how can we as, as occupational therapy practitioners work with our clients to make physical activity a routine part of their day? So actually planning that out and building those habits that's what OTs should be doing. That's where we have this enormous role in population health and, and preventing disease before it starts by actually figuring out what is meaningful to each person we work with and how that translates into keeping them moving through the day. So that can be, you know, for some people that might be walking the six flights of stairs in the parking garage to get to and from 
the office building, right? Because they mm -hmm. might not have any other time in their day to get activity in, right? So instead yeah. of taking the elevator, let's take the stairs. It might be when you're blow drying your hair, can you be doing squats at the same time to build in a little more activity? When you're in your kitchen, you know, washing dishes or, you know, prepping food, what can you do? Can it be some um, toe razors or something like that? And it might not actually even be, again, formal exercise. It might be we're doing the laundry, we're doing our or crafts or, um, you know, knitting or church activities, mm -hmm. house cleaning. Are we spending enough time moving rather than sitting? Our, and quite frankly, we, we have the whole world working against us, right? Cars, yeah. these computers we hold in our hands now that give us everything that we need instead of actually having, you know, going to the grocery store. We can mm -hmm. have groceries delivered now rather than actually physically walking through the store and actually physically putting the groceries in our car and carrying the groceries into the house. Yeah. You know, this is that's all built-in activity, but we've we've engineered that out of our routines, mm -hmm. and that means Americans are so much less healthy than we were before. Yeah. And what what sort of impact do you see OT practitioners if they were to implement these strategies and these kind of creative solutions to incorporate physical activity into daily occupation, what impact do you think that would have on, on the health of their clients? So individually, on individual clients, it means potentially, ultimately it's going to get down to some of their biomarkers, things like blood pressure and heart rate and less stress mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, which then in turn lead to potentially less cardiovascular disease, less risk for diabetes, less, you know, all of your, your chance for some of those traditional chronic diseases goes down, right? Okay. But if we can do that for a population, that's even more powerful, right? Yeah. And so we, OTs need to be very mindful of, we're very used to making a difference one person at a time. Mm -hmm. but to make a huge impact on the health of our nation, we need to start working at a higher level. And that means how do we figure out how to get these types of strategies um, in population health, doing it on a population level rather than on an individual level. Wow. And that's going to take, uh, you know, that's, that ultimately um, requires OTs to be thinking about policy change mm -hmm. and reimbursement mechanism change, and the list goes on and on. But we could lead the way in that. We truly could lead the way. Well, is there anything you, you could say to an, an everyday practitioner that they could do to, to kind of be a part of that change or or try and lead the way? Well, I think first it starts with themselves, so role modeling. Okay. Uh, I think our clients are looking to us as to be examples. 
-hmm. And so we need to be showing them the example of what healthy means in our lives. So are we doing the things? Are we practicing what we preach? Mm -hmm. I think that's first. Um, so, so doing it ourselves, keeping ourselves healthy, mm -hmm. and keeping it real when we're working with other people who have lots of demands on their time. What are the baby steps that they can do? So we need to equip our everyday practitioners with um, the little things of how you can even incorporate small changes with your clients that are going to be effective. So, you know, it's the routine. I think, again, it starts with let's look at their routine and how do you incorporate some of these small behavior changes into it. How do you give them support? Awesome. So keep it real, focus on routine and habit, and be the example yourself. Mm -hmm. Well like said. <laughs> Thank you. It came straight from you. So I guess real quick, is there anything else that you would recommend to a practitioner to implement uh, into their daily practice? I would say for any practitioner who really is looking for the evidence, right? Or, or ways to keep up with the evidence. There really are lots of ways <clears throat> that practitioners can do that. So really using the resources that um, entities like our professional association are giving us to make that easier. Okay. So we have lots of practice guidelines. We have lots of systematic reviews in the literature. And if practitioners are looking for more resources, be an AOTA member and you have access to lots of materials right at your fingertips that you can easily implement tomorrow at work. Awesome. That's a, a great resource. And I guess I'd like to ask you if you can maybe share a story about how this or anything else we've talked about today, how you've seen it make a difference, whether in your own practice or in someone else's life or your own life. Yeah, the one that comes to my mind is has to do with my research, not so much the systematic reviews that I do, but some of the work with, with technology, that everyday technology. Mm -hmm. And so I think I'll share an example of um, a program that I was involved with that where we were working to train older adults how to use iPad technology. Okay. So these are people that would not have normally had access to an iPad, um, wouldn't have the financial means to, to do that. <clears throat> and through this project, we were able to, to give 55 older adults an iPad and train them how to use it. Okay. And through that project, I got to know many of those 55 older adults, but one that particularly stood out to me was a woman who was in her early 90s and lived halfway across the country from her granddaughter who had recently had twins. Mm -hmm. And she knew that she would probably never see those twins because they lived, she was aging, she lived half the world, half the country away from them. Mm -hmm. And that iPad made a world of difference to her. She was able, we taught her 
how to use Facebook. We taught her how to use FaceTime. We taught her how to email. And because she now had that new knowledge of how to use that piece of technology, mm -hmm. she was able to actually see those grandbabies on FaceTime and communicate with her granddaughter, you know, in terms of exchanging photos and things like that in ways she never had before. And I still get, we're still friends on Facebook, so... <laughs> So I still see, like, actually just last night, you know, this was several years ago that, mm -hmm. that, I, that we taught her how to use it, and nothing makes me smile more than when I see that she was tagged in a post or that she's on a picture on Facebook because those pictures, I, all of them are connecting her to her family and are giving more meaning to her days. Yeah. So that that's a wonderful story and I don't know it really makes me think that doing your best to to be the best practitioner you can be and to implement best practices um, not only improves the outcomes of the people you treat but it it really increases that connection mm -hmm. and really I don't know just warms the heart like mm -hmm. like that story did for for mm -hmm. everyone who who hears it I'm sure yeah it ultimately for OT it comes down to meaning and it's behavior change shouldn't be because you have to. It's because you want to. You you want that meaning in your life, and so that's where that's that's what OTs are good at. That's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story and for your time today. Are there any additional resources you'd like to share with listeners that they can refer to 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 learn more? You know, certainly, I, as I said earlier, AOTA is a, has a, they're just rich with resources. Evidence-based mm -hmm. practice is just one of, of several initiatives that I think for a clinician at any stage in their career looking to stay current, um, that's where I would point them. Okay, awesome. So we, we'd invite everybody to check out the AOTA website. Um, we'll also try and post uh, a direct link to some of uh, Dr. Smallfield's research uh, on our podcast website. Thank you again for your time. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Dr. Stacy Smallfield as much as I did. A huge thank you to her for sharing her knowledge and expertise and also for being a great faculty mentor just in general. Um, I know I learned a thing or two uh, from this conversation with Dr. Smallfield, like how to not let the huge amount of scientific literature that's out there overwhelm me by seeking out literature reviews and practice guidelines when I'm looking for something to help uh, my treatment planning or, or my interventions with, with a client or just to improve my clinical practice in general. Also, how to promote physical activity while keeping it real uh, with my clients and and making sure they're engaging in, in those meaningful occupations and activities of daily living that, that are so important to them. Remember, we always want to hear from you, so you can give us some feedback. Take a quick second, just a couple minutes, and go to the link in our podcast description to take the post-listener survey um, so we can hear what you like, what you don't like, and what you want to hear more about in the future. Thanks, and until next time.